you know, obviously if you're younger, your parents take on a lot of that education, but Mm -hmm. ultimately it's you that has to become educated, but just continuing to learn and ask questions. And, you know, like you say, no better time to be a diabetic right now. I mean, things have changed so much. following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. What is up everyone and welcome to the Diabetes Podcast where we discuss how to take control of your health and gain the freedom to live the life that you deserve. I'm Gary Pano, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Grady Donahoe, who is a board-certified chiropractic internist. And welcome back, Diabetes. We're back with another episode, and this one is going to be a little bit different. We have our first guest on the podcast here with us. Yes, that's right. With us is a really good friend of both Dr. Grady and I, Chuck Hoffbauer, who is, we've met in chiropractic school. He's about halfway through his chiropractic degree. He's also been a coach, a lifelong player of hockey, father, a husband, and a couple other health issues and journeys along the way as well. Um, very unique guy, one of a kind. And we're excited to share uh, this time with Chuck. So, Chuck, um, thank you for being on the podcast. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you for having me. It's been uh, it's been exciting. I've, I've, I've watched your guys' work. And like I said from the beginning, I'd be honored to be on. And it's so thank you. I forgot to mention you're also type 1 diabetic. That was, that was kind of a big part of the intro. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of important. <laughs> So, yeah. so Chuck, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your, you know, diabetes story and, and just who you are as a person and, and how you got to chiropractic school. Yeah, so I, uh, I came to school a little bit later in life. I kind of call it my second career. I'm uh, 33 years old, but I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 16. And okay. I, was, I was a sophomore in high school. And... I was a hockey player, like you mentioned, and played hockey, and I went to college. And after college, I started coaching hockey, and I opened up a hockey training facility in West Michigan. Mm. And ah, very cool. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great experience. I met some great kids along the way and did, did a lot of stuff that I loved doing. And ultimately, the calling for – natural health and chiropractic brought me, brought me to Logan where I met you guys. Very cool. Uh, I already have a couple of questions in my head, uh, but let's kind of zone in on you were a hockey player at 16 and then you got diagnosed. What, what was that like for you? Yeah, that was, uh, it, it was the spring of uh, my sophomore year of high school. I had just gotten my license you kind of think you're untouchable, you know, you're mm-hmm. I'm driving around in my car and I'm playing hockey and it, uh, it, it kind of came on quick. I had no idea. Um, 
I would say we were playing street hockey and all this stuff. And my buddies constantly were getting mad at me because every five to 10 minutes I was running inside and just chugging water. And mm-hmm. they're like, dude, like you're messing up our game here. Like what's <laughs> wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm just so thirsty. I, uh, you know, I could, I just couldn't, couldn't get enough water. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. So kind of, the, the hallmark symptoms, you know, you guys have talked about it a little bit and I'm sure obviously most type ones have experienced it. I, uh, you know, I was 16 and what, what 16 year old boy wants to admit to, uh, to his mother that he's wetting the bed at night, you know? Wow. And so that, yeah, that happened several times and really it was, um, I was taking final exams. I was going to a Catholic school. I remember it. I was going in to take my religion exam and I came home and my mom was home and she asked me, Hey, you know, how did it go? And I said, horrible. I I couldn't read. I I could hardly read the exam. It was like the whole thing was blurry and you know, I was just real frustrated and, um, and I'm like, I'm, I'm taking a nap, you know, cause I was very fatigued and tired and, Mm-hmm. So I, I go take a nap on the couch and unbeknownst to me, my mom calls, calls the, our primary care physician. And, you know, once they heard a few of the symptoms, I think I had an appointment about two hours later and wow, the rest is kind of history. Mm. That's pretty intense. You know, like wetting the bed at 16. Yeah. I bet that messed with your head a lot too. Just going into that situation. How long was that going on for? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, no, it, it probably, probably about two months, you know, and it would wow. be, you know, maybe once a week, then a couple times a week, you know, and I mean, just even one time <laughs> would raise your suspicions, but, mm-hmm. you know, the natural instinct, I think of a, a 16 year old is to deny it or definitely, you know, you don't want to talk about it. Yeah, You don't exactly. want to tell your friends or you know, don't really even want to tell your parents, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So what was your blood sugar when you went into that appointment? My blood sugar was 700 and I, I don't remember the exact, it was 715, I think. Oh, Holy wow. cow. Yeah. yeah. Well, I imagine so. since you were having those symptoms for two months, um, it was starting to get built up pretty, pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. And one of one of the fascinating things too, I, I did not have uh, diabetic ketoacidosis. Really, I know that I can be pretty common when um, you're diagnosed. For some reason, I did not, and I remember that. I'm thinking that was kind of interesting why that didn't happen. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, everyone's physiology is kind of different. You are adapting differently, you know, and so DKA has a, has a lot to do with not your blood sugar level, but rather, you know, the insulin, lack of insulin that you have at that point, and then how that's messing with your electrolytes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, for you being an athlete, being 16, playing hockey, you know, drinking a lot of water, you know, you might've been doing enough just to kind of hold you on. I mean, who knows? Um, but that, yeah, that is pretty unique being that high and not being a technically DKA. That's, that's pretty impressive. Um, not that it's a, competition or you get an award for your <laughs> <No>. best DKA. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. 
So did you end up passing your exam? What happened with the exam since you couldn't even see during it? Yeah. So <laughs> I think it was like a Tuesday and, uh, you know, obviously they, they admitted me right to the hospital and I mean, I wasn't thinking about exams in the hospital. I'll be honest. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember my first question was, well, am I ever going to be able to play hockey again? Oh yeah. Mm, absolutely. You know, and, and sure enough, you know, and they assured me I was, but for the exams, um, I think it was a week or two later, um, they let me come back into school and take, make, take my makeup exams. Oh, okay. So, okay. Nice. Yeah. So I didn't I'll, fail them or anything. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't cool. remember how I did, but mm. I made it to junior year of high school. So there you go. That's all that matters. Win for Chuck. That bad. Yeah. yeah. So uh, how how was it going back to school with now having to overcome all of these new learning challenges that diabetes presents? So when I went back to high school, um, started my junior year, it, it was very challenging. Um, like I said, I was going to Catholic school, so I was commuting. I lived just outside Detroit, so I was commuting about 25 minutes to school every day. Oh, wow. And, and that was in rush hour traffic. And I remember just, you know, what 16-year-old what wants to get up early to begin with? And I had to yeah. get up extra early, and, you know, mm -hmm. I was taking my shots. And I, I remember I had to eat 115 grams of carbohydrates at for breakfast um that was that's what the doctors required me to do pretty much for my first year just sure because i was growing and i had lost so much weight um mm -hmm. through the process so it, it was very challenging uh, getting back into a rhythm um and i actually transferred out to uh to a, a school that was closer to home about five minutes from my house and i think a lot of that had to do with it was just obviously well i had friends that were at my closer school but a lot of it had to do with just just the the change and you know being a diabetic and constantly having to monitor things and pack extra food and lunches and mm -hmm. yeah it was, a, it, was a, it was a bit of a challenge yeah yeah i'm sure your parents liked having you closer so that way if anything went wrong they could do a little bit more about it and some somewhere that was 30 minutes away yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I see it now as like a father myself. I'm sure that they <laughs> that went through their head as mm -hmm. a comfort piece. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And there's a whole different world of you know diabetes care and the psychology psychology of type one being a parent who doesn't have diabetes, but I, you know their child does, and that changes depending on their age. You know, and so. I can't, the stress that your parents might, must have gone through, I'm sure was super high as well as any parent, you know, that has a child that has type one diabetes. Did you guys, did you have any uh, family history of diabetes? No. So that was, that was one of the f funny things about it. There was no, no history. Um, but there were a couple, a couple, like a couple red flags, if you will. My, my grandma acquired type two diabetes mm -hmm. um she she had cancer and during the late stages of that actually became a diabetic okay. um not a type oh, really? one there was a little bit of that but yeah no no type one diabetics in the family my my siblings my sister my parents none of them okay wow. 
Now you have you also have another autoimmune disease with the psoriasis. Was that um, did that start before type one or is that after? That came that came about two three years after. Oh, okay. Really? Okay. And so you both have psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, or? Well, I keep, I think the the way they labeled it in the doctors was uh, psoriatic arthritis. Okay. So I had uh, I graduated high school. I was playing junior hockey in Oklahoma, and I thought I had a stress fracture on my foot. Could hardly plantar flex on my foot. Um, just swollen, full of pain. Took X-rays, and um, you know everything came back. No break, nothing. So they put me in. So they put me in a cast, and about two days <laughs> later. Yeah, they said, you know, it's a, probably a stress fracture. You know, we're going to keep you off your foot, let this thing heal up. And about two days later, my my knee just balloons up, swells up like crazy. Hmm. And so I go back into the doctor's office. I'm like, you know, you put me in the cast, my, my knee ballooned up. And, and I remember he looked at me and he goes, and he's kind of looking at me, staring at my face. He's like, how long have you had that psoriasis? I had a couple patches of psoriasis on my eyebrows. Hmm. And, uh, and he's like, do you have any other patches of psoriasis? And I'm like, well, yeah, funny you should ask. I, you know, I got a little bit on my chest and stomach. And so hmm. he, so he immediately, he, now I know where his, his mind was going, but they, mm -hmm. they drew blood and that's when they, you know, with the C-reactive protein and, was it said rate CRP mm -hmm. and yeah, those, those, num those numbers were inflammatory numbers were through the roof. Mm -hmm. So they diagnosed it as psoriatic arthritis. Gotcha. And so for any listeners who might not be familiar with that, there's um, a whole bunch of different types of arthritis out there and categories of arthrotides and psoriatic arthritis falls under the inflammatory and autoimmunity type um, category of arthritis or arthritis where, you know, typically the arthritis or osteoarthritis that we classically think about is, you know, just, you know, the degeneration that we, that would be non-inflammatory as a general category. Um, so that's, that's wild too, because psoriatic arthritis for you, like it normally doesn't target the knee. So that's crazy that your knee just ballooned up, like you said, and this was two or three years after your type one diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, we, it really didn't make a lot of sense to me, mm -hmm. but uh, it was pretty clear, like something's going on here, you know, mm -hmm. something a lot more aggressive than just, just diabetes. Yeah. Yeah. And for our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with this, like if you have one autoimmune disease, you're much more likely to then get a second one. Um, and so that's why a lot of times your endocrinologist might, screen for other things like i know a common thing is screening for thyroid and thyroid function so um, that's the reason why um, people screen for that is to make sure that your other systems aren't being attacked either yeah no absolutely and, and you know they should screen for those things to make sure those aren't being attacked um so i'm curious chuck how was the since that diagnosis was two to three years after type one how was your management, how was living with type 1 diabetes for the first two to three years? I felt like I had it under decent control. 
mm-hmm. but it, when when the second autoimmune issue came on, it was pretty clear, kind of kind of raised my level of awareness, mm. and I I realized that I wasn't eating, a like I wasn't eating foods that were really good for my diabetes or for my optimal health in general. Mm-hmm. Like uh, that was the first time I think, you know, obviously when I became a diabetic, I, I obviously was very aware of carbs at that point. Like I'd never been. And mm-hmm. then, and then after the, the arthritis, I, I, it was like another level of awareness where like, man, maybe, you know, maybe it's more than just carbs, you know, maybe I need to really look at the choices I'm making. So, yes, I like yeah. it. Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, that's pretty profound at such a young age that you were able to say, Hey, there's a little bit more to this. I need to be, I need to watch this more so because this is impacting not only my health, but my, probably my way of life as well. Yeah. I mean, I was far from what I would say where I am today. Yeah. What I eat. All all of us would say that, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's part of the journey. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was definitely, I mean, when I look back, it was, it was definitely one of the, one of the biggest wake up calls for me personally. Yeah. So I had a long way to go even from there, but you have to wake up, you have to wake up at some point. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cause you would have been what, 1920 when you got the psoriatic arthritis diagnosis then, right? Yeah. 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 Like you said, you know, when, once you're woken up, you know, and on just your level of awareness and going on like that, there needs to be that moment for every diabetic of like, what am I doing? Like I, there needs to be something else going on. I'm not trying to talk about, you know, we want to keep the focus on you, but that, I had that, I didn't have that moment until I started chiropractic school, you know? So I wasn't until like oh, almost 10 years of my diabetes life that I had that wake up call. And some people are even later than that. So that's really cool that you start being more aware so early on in your diabetic career or life i'm not sure which one's more appropriate to say (laughs) um so you're diabetic now in in high school and you're playing junior league of hockey so did it affect your ability to play hockey and you know later on when you transition to coaching and your coaching business and hockey business was it affecting that at all or how did you know, did you feel self-conscious allowing your players know that you're a diabetic? You know, what was, what was that kind of realm like for you? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I mean, so when I was playing, um, when I was playing junior hockey is I felt like my, my diabetes never really held me back too much. The biggest thing was I always had a working, working understanding with my coach that, Hey, if my sugar, drops or I feel like it's dropping, you know, I'm going to have to check my blood sugar. I might have to sit, a, you know, a rep out in one of the drills, check my sugar and potentially, you know, I always had Gatorades on the bench mm-hmm. and, and I always had a little starburst on the bench too. Um, <laughs> yeah, a little quick spike in the glucose. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, yeah, they were always really helpful, worked with me well with that biggest thing I noticed was my recovery when I was training, Mm, like mm -hmm. not only hockey, but, you know, obviously playing junior hockey, trying to, trying to go to college and playing. It's a lot of days on the ice and it's a lot of days in the gym. And I felt like I just could not recover. 
And so I remember that being um, a big, a big motivator to keep my blood sugar in better check. Cause I thought, you know, cause you can feel it. You guys know what it's like. You, you go to work out and your blood sugar is 200 or above, like your legs feel heavy. Mm, oh yeah. <laughs> And I always said it felt like I was skating with cinder blocks on. Yeah. So it mm. re- it really motivated me to to keep uh, to keep my sugars in as good a check as I could. Um, mm. And then obviously, you know, when you're dealing with a lot of inflammation, I think that inhibits your recovery quite a bit. So mm-hmm. I felt like I was a, a little bit kind of always fighting upstream with that during those times. Yeah, and then to transition into like when I was coaching, um, I, I took and when I was coaching and training, I took a lot of pride in in kind of be you know you're kind of a role model for for your athletes and mm-hmm. the players you train. And I took a lot of pride in in having diabetes, like I like to. I mean, you know, I wanted to show these guys that like, hey, you know, whatever it might be, diabetes, whatever you might have, this look, look, what look what I can do, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to stop you. No, not at all. And so that was, that was good. And I, I had some diabetic athletes come through, come through my gym and come through the rink, um, in the five years that I did it. And, and I just always wanted them to know like, Hey, don't let this, don't let this stop you and, you know, take care of it. And you can do sky's the limit really. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, so did, did you end up building those relationships maybe more with those players that did have, you know, diabetes that, that you kind of interacted with? A little bit. You know, it was funny. I, I always tried to like – I never wanted to um, to make it look like I was favoring them at the same time. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that's just how I would want to be treated. Sure. Um, you know, you tell someone, hey, sky's the limit, but then – you know, you, you're constantly giving them extra looks and almost holding their hand. So I tried to, you know, I obviously kept a, kept an eye on them, you know, if, if they ever needed to talk about anything, I let them know, but I also let them kind of have their space too and kind of mm-hmm. go through the experience um, kind of organically, if you will. Sure. That's a, that's a very good, um, role model thought process, you know, very good mentor thought process of not being overbearing. Um, so just diabetes management in general. I know Grady and I laugh and talk about it all the time. Like when people are trying to literally look at your meter and overlook at what's going on and we get super upset about it. Do you have the same just experience of people trying to look at your numbers? Chuck? <laughs> I, I do. You know, it's funny. I've heard you guys talk about this a lot now. <laughs> um, <laughs> only certain times does it bother me. Mm. Um, I, I think it's when you, when somebody looks at it with, you can tell when they have that, that eye of judgment. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's what really gets me is burst your beta cells. <laughs> oh yeah. Burst my beta cells. Yeah. That's, that's what gets me going is because man, I've had it where I've eaten horrible things. Mm-hmm. and you know i i take i take the right shot for the ratio and my blood sugar has been perfect and i've had times where i i eat all the right things and take the you know you guys know what it's like you take the take the right shot and my sugar's 250 after mm-hmm. so 
you know, the last thing you you want is somebody looking over your shoulder and being like, "Holy you. cow, what are you doing?" <laughs> right. You yeah. don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I had um uh, a a fellow um, coworker looking over my meter on like a Friday or two Fridays ago or something like that. And like literally her, her face was just like over like the meter. Normally I would be upset, but I could tell it wasn't judgmental, but pure interest. It wasn't like I, she wasn't overreacting if that was high or low. She was just literally just wanted to know. And part of me was like, still like, "Mm, not, not cool with that. But I knew it was judgmental. Like you said, um, and not a lot of people, most people don't know or feel like they're being judgmental. Maybe that's just our hyper awareness or sensitivity, um, to all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, when, I mean, when people ask questions, I, I have no problem. I, I love talking about it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's great to, in, you know, let someone know, or somebody will be like, Hey, my, my grandpa had diabetes and like, you know, they, they ask a leading question or. You know, I have no problem with that. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that's good. You know, the more people that are aware of it, the better. I guess the better it is for everybody. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally agree. Um, so, zoning back in. So it sounds like then you were able to, you know, impact you know a lot of people's lives being a coach and having that business, whether they die back or not. And that's a it's a really cool story and really cool part of your journey that. Um, um, you got to have. So that's really awesome. Yeah. So uh, transitioning, I want to talk a little bit about your next kind of phase in life, which was starting chiropractic school. Um, and me and Garrett both know how demanding uh, chiropractic school can be. Um, so, but we want to hear from you. What was it like starting up school again? Cause you'd been out for a while, um, but starting up school again and trying to manage your blood sugars that way and, and that whole deal. Going to Logan forced me to be more on top of more organized yeah. than I'd ever been. You know what it's like? It's long days, um, 10 minute quick little break in between classes. I actually found it most challenging was because, you know, you, you try to try to get a breakfast in and then you want to eat lunch. You know, you want to have some sort of schedule. I found myself the the time of the schedule um having to really shift my eating times and that to me that was a, a little tough at first oh uh, yeah but but uh yeah i i found that uh you know packing a packing a good lunch if i didn't i typically would end up at the cafeteria or i, I do end up at the cafeteria i say yeah. it like i don't go to logan anymore <laughs> i would end up Not at there the, yet. I end, yeah maybe one day no, but I end up at the cafeteria and it's, it's such a difference between meal prepping and cooking your own food and knowing exactly how many carbs you're getting, you know, if it's a scoop of rice um, and just knowing what goes into it, what kind of oils you cook with, all that stuff, as opposed to having to go, go through the school cafeteria or whatnot. Yeah. So I found a lot, I, I found I find myself having more success when, when I'm able to meal prep and I'm able to find a pretty consistent eating schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, consistency, but then also, like you said, knowing what's actually in the food and how it's going to be affecting your blood sugars just helps a ton. So getting the schedule right and and meal prepping has helped a lot, but um, what about all the stress that goes along with graduate school? Well, like you said, you guys know the uh, the stress is real, <laughs> um, and especially going back a little bit later in life, I always felt like if I have to, I had to study longer or I do have to study longer. I feel like, so yeah. and, and my motto is, I mean, I'm not, I'm here to go to school and I'm here to do well and learn the material and ultimately become a chiropractor. So if that means staying up till two in the morning, because I have an exam that I got to be ready for, I, I tend to err on the side of stay up till two in the morning until you know the material. I, I like to go to bed confident. Yeah. Is the way I put it. So yeah. I was trimester, the same way. Same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So trimesters one through three was, uh, I know my health took a little hit for it. My sugars sometimes weren't as balanced as I'd like to be. I'm putting a cup of coffee or a pot of coffee on at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> oh man. And, yeah. And, and you know, one thing I do is it, I will say this. If I do drink coffee, I try to balance my blood sugar. I try to never drink it on an empty stomach. Okay. Um, so I will try to blunt it with, you know, whether it be a couple, like a, like an apple or a um, little chicken and rice. But so I usually had a little snack, but yeah, I would, uh, it took a toll. It took a toll physically, mm -hmm. but. And there were, you know, there are going to be times where that just happens. Like you could be feeling like you're a rock star with your glucose management, your insulin management, but life happens. You know, we can't always pack three meals a day and 10 snacks forever for our whatever situation, for whatever work is, for whatever school is. You, you know, <laughs> there might be a giant economy like recession and you can't leave your house. <laughs> or, yeah. or you can't get the food you normally get at a grocery store or you change jobs or you have a kid, you know, whatever it is, life happens. And, you know, you're going to need to adapt to that situation to find and kind of re kind of get a new equilibrium of what you need to do to manage your sugars back at that situation. And for that time where it's like a little out of control, you know, I think the biggest thing is not to get your, your head in a, mindset where you're just beating yourself up over it. Cause I think that's really easy to do. So you talked a little bit before when you were diagnosed with, uh, um, arthritis that you had started taking your diet more seriously, but, uh, moving into chiropractic school and in a health field, I'm sure that changed even more. So, um, so talk about how like you've changed eating wise or health wise in your daily lifestyle and how that's affected your blood sugars. Okay, so right before I came to Logan, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at different diets. I'm looking at ways to reduce inflammation. I'm like, there's got to be something more that I can do. You know, there's got to be something more. So I come across uh, these essentially fruitarians. Are you guys familiar with those? These fruitarians? Well, why don't you I'm explain not, it? I've never heard that term before, but. I think I understand what you're saying. <laughs> it's essentially a, a fruit-based diet. Okay. Um, 
and I guess it can get nitpicky with some of the details, but some of them will, it's essentially a raw food diet, but okay. specifically fruit. Um, so I start, I start venturing into this and next thing I know, a couple months, well, about a month or so before school, I start a juice cleanse and I'm going to go 90 days. Wow. And so it's a long time. It's a long time. And I kind of had the mindset like, you know, I'm doing this. I don't care if, <laughs> I don't care if I have to crawl my way into, you know, Logan or wherever it might be. I'm doing this. <laughs> Almost became like a prove to myself that I could, that I could do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. And then the other thing was, you know, I'm starting Logan, but I was like, man, there's never, there's never going to be a better, there's never a good time. Right. Yeah. When's true. there ever good? There's always, if you think about it with, when it comes to eating and diets and stuff, it seems like there's always Christmas or, Hey, I got somebody's birthday this weekend and you yeah, know, we're exactly. going, there's always going to be something. Mm-hmm. So I figured now's the time. So I, so I go on a 90 day juice cleanse um, prior to coming into Logan. So I think by the time I got to Logan, I was, uh, I was about eight weeks or six weeks into it. And, uh, the juice cleanse was, was quite an experience and I journaled everything. I'm when I look back at it now, I'm so glad I did. But so I had a juicer, the old champion juicer. I got it from my parents. I mean, this thing was like from the early nineties, but I mean, it's, it is the champion of juicers. Wow. It's appropriately named. And, uh, (laughs) So, you know, I was going to the fruit markets, uh, going to the farmer markets and getting, it was pretty much all fruit that I did. Juice was really tough to juice in this, unless it was like celery or cucumbers. So it was pretty much watermelon and apples and pretty easy things to juice like that. Well, next thing you know, I'm in my carbohydrate intake is through the roof. Like, yeah. I think, I think I was doing about 400 grams of carbs a day wow. and way more than I had ever done. And it, it took till about day 30 and all of a sudden my, all of a sudden I started getting low all the time. So my sugar was a little tough to balance on this. And then about day 30, all of a sudden, you know, I would have 32 ounces of pineapple juice. And I mean, you can do the math on that sugar. It's about, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's like 27 grams of carbs per eight ounces. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, it's it's about that. So all of a sudden I'm going terribly low. And so I'm like, huh, like I need to cut back a little bit on my, on my insulin here on this. Next thing you know, I'm at a one to 75 ratio wow. of carbohydrates. Wow. And that was a, that was a unique, I know we've talked about it, right, Garrett? Like mm. a, a little bit about the whole, is that a safe ratio? I mean, I, I don't think it is. I know mm-hmm. it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have a one to 75 ratio and your sugar drops, well, what does it take to raise your blood sugar? You know, right. the amount of, sugar that you have to ingest just to, to bump it up. Well, yeah. So about day 30, it was about a one to 75 ratio. Um, 
and pretty much it, it, it's a detox. It was like a detox type diet. So, you know, regarding, regarding that, you know, when you have a lot of fruit in general, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but fructose as a monosaccharide doesn't require insulin. Right. So that that's part of the biochemical mechanism of that. But like, like you brought up, I didn't even think about it from that perspective of how much glucose or, you know, just sugar or fruit do you need to raise it becomes a lot more. I didn't even think about it from that perspective. I was almost just thinking about how easy it is to um, over bolus, <laughs> you know, over give yourself insulin. If you have a one to 75 ratio, you know, there is such thing as too much of a good thing. And and yeah. for me, you know, I'm not an endocrinologist, so it's not like I, I tweak specifically you know, those types of ratios with people. But when I'm thinking about food and just management of food, it's like, man, that can easily be overcalculated and just you could drop low so fast. Like, you know, 100, if it's 75 to one, that means 100, if you had 150 grams, that's two units, two units, two milliliters isn't a lot. <laughs> like, well, not two milliliters, but, you know, two units. I mean, that's just, that's like nothing. And, you know, it takes only a couple of seconds to put into your body. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm, when you were doing that, you tell me about that. I was like, wow, that seems kind of crazy. But I'm glad, though, that you, at that time, you were finding good results during that time. And that's, a, that's an important thing to keep in context at the same time. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely almost, I think at one point, I, I think I told my wife, I'm like, this kind of feels like the honeymoon phase, you know, yeah. you, like everybody's experience. I, I'm like, this, this is eerily feeling like the honeymoon phase. I think my, my long acting Lantus, I was taking, I was taking about 12 units and I dropped, I had dropped that down to about five units. Oh, really? So, wow. Yeah, it was a it was a very. Um, I thought it was it, everything I had learned about, you know, prior to biochem at chiropractic school and everything. Everything I thought I had learned, this seemed to be turning it, you know, right flipping it right over. So, but long term, that's not. We know that's not sustainable. You're not mm -hmm. going to juice the rest of your life, and it just wasn't sustainable. But what it did was it opened my eyes to quality of food and really looking at that at another, like I said, it happened once before when, you know, when I was a diabetic, then when I had my second, when I had the psoriatic arthritis, um, come on board. Well, this was another time where it was like, okay, now is the time to really, really look at what you're doing. And mm you know, you're still eating four Snicker bars a week, man. Like, and you can, and, and you can mask it by saying, well, you know, I'm working out six days a week, six days a week. And I'm, you know, I'm on the ice so much. So, you know, it's a, it's a pretty quick thing to be like, ah, you know, you, you, it's okay. But when you kind of step back and, you know, have a little bit of perspective on things, you start to realize some of the habits you get into. So that's what I felt the, the juice cleanse really did was I start, and even to this day now, and now it's become an emphasis on quality of food. Mm. And obviously I'm not just eating one f food group anymore, but yeah. you know, it's, it's bled over into, you know, 
what kind of butter am I eating? You know, what kind of, how is that, how is that cow raised, you know, for the beef that I'm eating? And, um, I've, I've definitely noticed everything shift to, to that mindset. Yeah. You're starting to really hone in on the specifics of each food that you're putting into your body, which I think a lot of people, I mean, would benefit from just knowing, or just like reading labels and, um, mm-hmm. looking into the specifics of, like you said, where, where the meat is raised or how it's raised and how that's affecting their body, um, in many different ways. Well, the, the one thing I thought was interesting is, you know, a lot of people told me, do you want to get organic fruit during this cleanse? Well, to, uh, an organic, an organic watermelon, <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're small, they're expensive, mm. they're sort of tough to come by. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, in St. Louis, in the middle of summer, getting a big, juicy, you know, non-organic watermelon is, is very reasonable to do, especially if you're getting, yeah. if you're getting, you know, four or five and six at a time from the back door at the farmer market, you're getting a, you know, you're getting a good deal on it. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, um, I didn't realize was the whole GMOs and how, you know, how those watermelons were sprayed and what was put on them and essentially how they're grown and the soil they're grown in. And here I am juicing that straight into my system. So yeah, a lot of good, but I know it, you know, not, not the most optimal thing either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but yeah, yeah, it is important um, to, like I said, hone in on those things. And like you said, the GMOs, how they're affecting you. Obviously, they're affecting um, everybody differently. And so you have a lot of people saying, well, you know, they don't, they aren't, they aren't a bad thing or they don't do anything to the body or all the pesticides that are, are sprayed on them. But um, we, we won't go on a too big of a tangent. I would just encourage people to um, really look into those things and see what they can affect and how they can affect the body. Um, and if you're having trouble with certain health conditions, it wouldn't be a bad idea to cut those things out and see how your body does, see how your body responds to it. Yep, I echo that. I agree. So, Chuck, I had a question for you in terms of, you know, you are now a father, you're your husband as well. You know, how has these conditions, you know, the psoriatic arthritis as well as the diabetes, uh, affected your mindset during these time periods and you know just having a kid and any excitement or fears in terms of these conditions with your kid or even if it's just the lessons you've learned and sharing those with you know your family um, share, can you share some of those experiences because that's something that you know Grady and I don't um, have you know because we aren't married and we don't have kids so mm-hmm. uh, I think um, there are some listeners out there that do fall in those categories and, you know, the, you know, your experience can definitely resonate with a lot of other people. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, so my son was born about a year ago, last March and, uh, Oh, what, was his birthday recently? He had a birthday. Yeah. Early oh. March. Yeah. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday. Yeah. So he, uh, that, that was, I mean, that's a huge, to me, that's a huge motivator was, you know, my wife's a big motivator and mm-hmm. now my son and, you know, 
the, the way I look at it is if I don't take care of my blood sugar or, you know, I'm health wise in a bad spot, it obviously is going, you know, it's going to affect the way, the way you are with your loved ones, you know, it's going to affect your mood. It's going to affect your energy levels. It's going to affect all that stuff. So to me, to me, it's a big motivator. You know, I want to be, I want to be the best person I can be, you know, for myself and for everybody, but especially my wife and especially my son. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for him, I think, I think my, my point of emphasis is, let's let's look at doing some of the things that that i know are going to help like that i know are going to help him have the best success in life you know Hmm. some of those some of those things are uh you know i thought it was pretty important that my wife breastfed for the first year Mm -hmm. and that was awesome you know it, it doesn't always work for everybody but it worked for our family and I thought that was a positive thing. Um, you know, I take him to get adjusted. I mean, I always joke. I mean, he's been adjusted almost 30 times. I mean, Grady, you remember? I still oh, got yeah. the picture. It was a day four of his life. Mm-hmm. And, wow. Uh, yeah, Grady, you're in there adjusting him. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's, that's awesome. You know, especially being – future chiropractors and chiropractors. I mean, you look back and you're like, man, if I could have got chiropractic treatment from the first week I was born, can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I, I think that's pretty exciting that we're able to do that for him. I've, I've mentioned the quality of food, like from my standpoint, um, I think it's important that he gets that quality of food and just little things we've, we've chosen my, my wife and I have chosen to feed him goat's milk instead of cow's milk Mm. that's that's just a family preference based on um some research and stuff that i've looked into um so yeah just doing doing some things like that to what i think help help give them a good kickstart to everything yeah just a little a little tangent from something you just said that there is data out there for you know, the onset of type one and connecting it to things. It's not a correlation by any means, but there's data out there for, you know, different whey protein and casein and, and, you know, cow's milk and type one diabetes is gluten and type one diabetes, especially in early childhood. And there's, that's why there's a big connection between celiac and type one diabetes, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really big too. Um, and so that's really cool that you're thinking about those steps um, right now, um, you know, because some argue and for the most part, it's true is that, you know, you didn't bring on type one diabetes from what you ate directly, <laughs> but your immunity is directly related to the food that you eat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that can, there can be an indirect correlation of how your body reacts to things based on food and your immune system. Yeah. So it's cool that you're thinking about that with your son right now. Yeah, it makes me so happy that you said that and and said all those things that you're you're taking steps to uh, make sure that your son has, like you said, the best life that he can, and ensuring that he's going to be functioning 
at, at his optimal level. You know, I'm sure Garrett, even though you don't have a son or are even married yet, you're still thinking about today. Well, what if I do have a kid? And so um, it's nice to hear a dad that's taking that into the, a lot of consideration and taking the steps to um, make sure that he's setting up his um, his son's life to to make sure that he not necessarily that he won't get diabetes, but have the best shot to be as healthy as possible. Did you, uh, Chuck, have you had any just fears of being a dad and, and health concerns, you know, with, with, um, with your child? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I think anybody would probably admit that, you know, especially when, when you hear you're pregnant, your wife's pregnant, your first thought is like, this is the greatest thing ever. And then, and then mm-hmm. you start to think like, well, I really, you want your kid to be as healthy as possible. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there, there's a little bit of fear, but honestly, I've, I've, I've tried to not let that fear, um, a little bit of fear maybe sets in or worry or concern. I, I try to not let that rule kind of my thoughts or whatnot, because like you, like you said, Grady, I mean, there's always the potential he could get it and there's a potential he might not. So let's, you know, let's, I'll do everything that I can to make sure he's, he's good. And my wife will do everything she can. And, you know, I mean, we're going to love him either way. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you kind of, you kind of have to put that at the back of your mind really. Otherwise it's going to, it's going to run you. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a, like the fear this, you're using a little bit of the fear just as a motivation to make sure that you're doing the best for your child, but you're not letting it overwhelm you to, to that it's controlling your life and stressing you out all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and so my wife works at, uh, she works at the hospital downtown and she, one of her, one of her coworkers told her about the diabetes trial net. Mm, yeah which which tests for autoantibodies type 1 in type 1 diabetics. Mm. So the I, I don't know a ton about it, but essentially what they do is they're going to test for autoantibodies that they believe are correlate to the chances of type 1 diabetes and they mm. can do this at the age of 2. And so depending if you have one of the antibodies, I think you have a very minimal chance, but it, potentially it's on the radar. And if they have two of the autoantibodies, their thought process is these have been shown as the, some of the underlying precursors towards type one diabetes. Mm-hmm. That's, I, I don't know a whole lot outside of that, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned that to us before uh, we got on here. And so I looked it up a little bit and I couldn't find the specifics on what they're actually testing. Uh, but it sounds a lot like, like you said, antibody testing. And so um, I'm not familiar with that specific test, but I know of um, some tests that you can do for antibodies, like basically like a whole panel of different tissues that you can test for and see if your body's reacting to you know, whatever tissue you're wanting to look at. And so like there's several different um, antibodies that are correlated with type one diabetes um, that you can test for. And in case you're suspecting or 
you want to confirm that it is diabetes or type one diabetes, um, you can test for those specifically and actually find out for sure. Yeah. So it, yeah, hopefully it, uh, you know, again, not a fear based thing, but you know, if, if it's a test that could, you know, shed some light on whatnot, I, if for nothing else, I think it'd be interesting to see what it says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think it's cool that our technology and our blood work and our, you know, the assays they're able to do are moving in those directions, um, whether it be, you know, trying to catch early diagnosis of type 1 diabetes, like, oh, this, these tests in this hospital um, potentially can do, or, you know, different types of, you know, IgG and IgA um, antibody testing that, you know, might fall on the food sensitivity, and that's building steam and you know, there's data that's slowly building and studies for those things. So it's kind of a cool time for anyone right now. It's definitely right now the best time to be a type one is now compared to any amount of time in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, without question. (laughs) I always, when I think about that, I always think about the scene from 300 and like, if you're bored and like, they're looking over the mountain and they just like toss the baby over the side. Yeah. You're diabetic, over the cliff you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously that's not humane, it would never happen. <laughs> oh man, anyways. Um, yeah, so thank goodness in this day and age, we have our glucometers, we have our insulin, and now we have, you know, these artificial pancreases and these pumps um, and you know, the CGMs, which help out tremendously, um, which me and Garrett use, um, quite a bit and pretty much for you know, the, the large majority of our diabetic journey, but Chuck does a little bit different than us. So I want to hear a little bit about how Chuck specifically manage his, manages his blood sugar. Yeah. Cause Chuck, coming- you're not, you're not on the pump, right? Chuck, you're, you're doing shots. Yeah, I still do shots. So obviously you've been on shots the whole time, you know, um, how has that experience been? And do you have any desire to change or are you pretty happy with the way you deal with your blood sugar using shots compared to, you know, what gradient I use, which is, you know, insulin pumps. Yeah. So my thing is if, uh, I, I probably should be on the pump like you guys are. Um, they, they try to get me back on the pump when did you get it? When did you guys go on the pump? Like right away after you were diagnosed? A year, a year afterwards. Okay. And they yeah, do so that. I think that's standard of care to like have a new diabetic get used to just all the changes. And then since the pump is a different, you know, ball game altogether, they want you to be a diabetic for like a year before or so, a certain amount of time before putting this machine attached to you. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause I think it was about a year after, and they, they started telling me I could go on the pump. And I'm like, well, I don't want to go on the pump. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I like, I, I've always liked the fact that I, I don't have to be attached to it 24 seven. Yeah. Um, but in terms of control, I do sacrifice control because of it. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many times where I'd want to take a half unit uh, shot or even a quarter unit shot. I mean, I feel like I can, be sensitive like that to certain foods and whatnot. And so it forces me sometimes to have to eat less or eat more, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm hitting a certain number sure, in my yeah. ratio. 
so I do I do know that it has it has affected my my management, but mm-hmm. uh, you know I think I think part of you put it in the notes about uh, like how do you feel free was it about yeah that was gonna be the the last question uh, I asked you was you know how's is is there anything recently that or how do you feel free from your diabetes? Yeah, so I, I guess this would be the thing. Is as I always said, if I don't have the pump, then you know, if I if my sugar's under control, I could, you know, I could jump into the pool and not have to worry about it, or you know, mm-hmm. go play hockey and not have to take off my sight or or whatnot. And so, I guess it's I, I guess it's the one piece of how I felt free the whole time, and cool, I haven't let it go. Mm, yeah. That's great. Yeah, you know, to each his own. I mean, there's, you know, some people take pump holidays where they can feel that way, um, you know, because sometimes it is a lot for them. So, you know, what's great is, you know, you might think you're sacrificing control, but I mean, if you're in control and you're happy with your range and, you know, you're happy with how things are and you can still improve um, and you can live your life the way you, you feel you want to live it and you can, at this moment, you're happy with it all. That's That's all that matters, you know, so... Uh, that's really cool that you've felt that way the entire time using your shots. So Chuck, what are some, you know, big takeaways, you know, where you've had, you've had diabetes and you've been living strongly and, and probably with diabetes for a long time. You know, what are some big takeaways um, that you've learned from being diabetic or someone who has diabetes, whichever one you resonate with um, and, and how you live your life? That's kind of a big question. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we all can learn a lot from applying these lessons. Yeah. I mean, my advice would be my advice to like my younger self or anybody who had has gotten type one diabetes is to stay positive, optimistic. And I know you guys have talked about this a lot on your podcast, but find your why. Um, mm. I think that's huge. And, you know, for me, like when I got diabetes, it was, it was, Hey, can I play hockey? (laughs) Like, is this going to affect my hockey? (laughs) And next thing you know, I I, I know six guys in the NHL who passed present who had type one diabetes. And I, I was like, Oh wow. Like, you know, these guys did it. And who's to say I couldn't do it, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think, I think that, you know, kind of being optimistic, um, staying positive about it, you know, it's, 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 it's not a death sentence, you know, it's, you know, if anything, it's, it's, it's looking, it's kind of a call to, to maybe to have you look at your life a little different, evaluate Mm -hmm. some of the things you're doing and how you do it. And, you know, maybe you don't recognize that when you're, yeah. 16 or 10 years old, but you know, no, but I would, I would stay positive. I would stay optimistic. And then like, if anyone's listening on this podcast, I would say you're well, uh, you're, you're in the game more than, more than I was at as a youngster is because you're learning and that's huge. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to get, you're going to get trained by your doctors and you know, you're in the hospital, essentially you get what, like a two day training and they, they send you out, you yep. know, and you're, and then you go to a couple classes or whatnot and, 
you know, obviously if you're younger, your parents take on a lot of that education, but Mm -hmm. ultimately it's you that has to become educated, but just continuing to learn and ask questions. And, you know, like you say, no better time to be a diabetic right now. I mean, things have changed so much. You guys know, I think I'm, I've had diabetes, um, 17 years. I mean, things have changed so much just in, just in the 17 years. Mm Mm-hmm. So continuing to learn and ask questions and go on podcasts like this and, you know, hear somebody's take on things or hear a little snippet from, you know, maybe a chiropractor as opposed to, a, you know, somebody else, it, it just gives you a better perspective ultimately on how to handle your situation. Yeah. Nice. I, I thought of a question when you were talking that brought, um, got brought up to my mind because I've had people, a lot of people ask me this, but if you had to choose how old you were when you were diagnosed, how, like, when would you choose? Wow. That is a good question. Mm. Honestly, I would probably keep it where it was. Yeah. (laughs) I would. Yeah. (laughs) I would, I would, uh, I would keep it at 16 years old. I think I was old enough to, I was old enough to appreciate how how serious it was yeah. if that makes sense um hmm. you know um i was old enough to do that i was old enough to um take on the management myself whereas like you know i i think of like a nine-year-old let's say and and you you know you guys have talked about we talked earlier about the, the stress and concern parents have like <laughs> Can you, can you imagine that? Like, you know, setting mm-hmm. alarm clocks through the night to wake up your, your kid. And so I was honestly, if I could do it again, I pick my age, I would, I would stick with 16. It was a, it was a kind of a, hmm. a good time, if you will. Yeah, Not I mean, that there's ever a good time, but sure. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like you're rebellious at all with your, you know, starting at 16, you said you, you almost value it because you were aware enough to know how serious it was. So did that mean you were, were there any points where you're just like, you know, screw it. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm just going to like, screw you parents, screw diabetes. Like, you know, were there, were there moments yeah. like that or. Well, that, that's why I say, I think it was a good age because I, I think I had a little bit of that, but it was fleeting and mm. it was short. I mean, it might have been like, you know, I remember a hot summer night. We we lived by an ice cream place, and I wanted ice cream. Well, you know, it didn't fit into my regimen at the time. <laughs> so, you know, I remember, you know, one night being like, "Well, I'm I'm gonna eat this ice cream, and I don't care," <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But by the morning, you know, I got my sugar back on track, and. Um, you know, things were back to normal, if you will. So there was never like, you know, I didn't go three months without testing my blood sugars or, you know, things like that. You, you hear some of the, you hear some of the horror stories of kids who do rebel and it's, it's sad. It it really Mm -hmm. is. And my heart Mm -hmm. goes out to them because yeah, I mean, that's very real what they're dealing with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, but thankfully, yeah, like I said, it was, it never, never lasted too long with me. Awesome. That's good to hear. That's interesting to hear. Yeah, Um, absolutely. 
Yeah. I have another question, which is my favorite segment that we do here, which is uh, burst my beta cells. So tell me something <laughs> that really bursts your beta cells or really, you know, AKA grind your gears uh, <laughs> in regards to diabetes. Oh boy. Put me on the spot. Yeah. You, you know what really does bother me in <laughs> is when you, when you follow your ratio perfectly, you shoot perfectly and your sugar is just, it's just too high yeah um you know sometimes a low like it can go both ways low or high but and i know that's kind of a broad answer i mean that is diabetes in a nutshell the balancing act Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i mean it just kind of bursts my it kind of rattles me sometimes yeah i'm like man like i did everything perfectly how how could it do this you know Mm -hmm. and then maybe a couple hours later the next day you realize like, Oh boy, I was all stressed out and on six hours of sleep or, yeah. you know, I was super excited and running around. Like it can, there's just so many, there's so many other factors into blood sugar that yeah, it, it, it's just not as easy as a ratio and shoot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think every diabetic has type one or two feels that way if you like you follow instructions that are laid out for you and still not adding up you're like i i, I can't win can't win and yeah. there's no one to blame besides this imaginary diabetes thing monster fairies all fairies <laughs> sure whatever <laughs> and uh yeah yeah i think we've all been there for that because it's definitely frustrating that and that actually happened to me this weekend too um which doesn't happen very often and it's very frustrating when it does so I think yeah. I, I feel you, Chuck, I feel you. Mm-hmm. But for me recently, what, you know, first my beta cells is, you know, just more of some of the pump utility tools. You know, I like to play it on the edge when I know I have like 40 units. I have like two alarms normally set for my pump. Like when I have 40 units left and 20 units left, like it warns me to like, so that way I change my site and, change how much insulin's in my pump. Um, and I got the warning last night that I had 40 units. And I was like, okay, I should be fine for like 24 hours. Like that should be okay. And then in the middle, of, but I had a feeling that I was going to run out in the middle of the day. So I brought some extra supplies with me just in case. But it wasn't until like an hour after I ate, I didn't get it. My tw- like there was zero second warning. It just all of a sudden said, you've been out of insulin for like 45 minutes. And I was like, well, Thanks for letting me know. Like I had no other warning. Um, and that almost sounds minute to maybe other people, but it was just annoying because I was in the middle of seeing patients and, you know, I couldn't stop what I was doing, say, you know, go in the back and change things because uh, there was office, you know, there's just things that I had to do. So it was just, um, it was bursting my beta cells just because um, I felt like I, you know, didn't plan accordingly. And that's on myself, but as well as, you know, my pump didn't give me the alarm I thought it was going to give. So nice. What about yeah. you, Grady? What's something that bust burst your beta cells recently? Yeah. When you said pump, it reminded me of another thing that burst my beta cells just, I think it was two days ago, mm. um, which is just pump sites. Like, mm. cause I put one in, it was in a little bit different location where there was a little bit less um, fat tissue 
And so um, it was a, ended up being a bad site, but I didn't realize it till. So I changed it, you know, early afternoon and it was, you know, butcher was fairly fine. Ate supper, had like some one thing that was different in my diet. Um, and so I checked it later before I went to bed and it was like, you know, 270 or something like that. And I'm like, geez, oh, wow. I'm like, it's high for you. Yeah. I'm like, I didn't think my, you know, that different thing that I ate and I can't even remember what it was now. I didn't think that was going to change it that much. And then, so I'm like, okay, I just corrected it. And then I woke up like four hours later in the middle of the night, just like so dehydrated. Mm. And cause I had, to, and then I had to go to the bathroom. I'm like, yeah, something's, something's off. So I checked it again and it was like 280. So I was very frustrated and very like, especially in the middle of the night, you just don't want to wake up in the middle of the night, very frustrated. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up changing, changing my site and then it was back to normal the next day. So, um, it's just frustrating how something small like that with the changing of the site and just in the site location is like the whole process of changing the site is the same. It's just the fact that, all right, it went into muscle tissue instead of just purely fat tissue. And then that just jacked it up. So uh, mm -hmm. it's just frustrating. Well, thank you for being on the podcast, Chuck. We appreciate the time. The time kind of flew by um, in all honesty. I mean, it's already, I mean, I don't know exactly when we started and how long this is going to be, but um, yeah, no, this, this was a great conversation. I thought, so thanks for being on Chuck. We appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, we appreciate you having having Jan. And once again, if our listeners would like to give us some feedback on um, what you guys like, what you guys would like to hear next, uh, we'd love love to hear from you. And um, we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you found value in today's conversation, we would appreciate it if you gave a five-star review. It really helps us branch out our community and get our message across to those who really need to hear it. If you want to interact with us on social media, you can follow us on The Die Buddies Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or moral outrages, you can email us at thediebuddiespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.